0: Hello. How are you doing today, Megan?
1: Hi Jess. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm
0: well. I'm very well.
1: That's good. Are you excited? We're in the recording studio again very for excited. our second episode of the Prairie Pod. I'm pumped. You pumped?
0: Uh, very much so.
1: Oh my gosh. So we should probably, since it's only our second episode, make sure that y'all <laughs> know who we are. Jess, who are you?
0: I am the Prairie Habitat Research Scientist with Minnesota DNR. And yeah, I'm a scientist. I love it. I love being a scientist.
1: I like that you're a scientist. You make me a better scientist every day. I said that at a meeting the other day and then you made fun of me for it I immediately regretted it. I'm sorry. Never give you compliments. That's the problem. So I'm Megan. I'm a regional ecologist with the Department of Natural Resources and I just basically play all over 32 counties in Southwest Minnesota, building habitat, trying to make this place better. Yeah, Functional.
0: We have some guests with us today. We do have
1: guests and I'm really, really excited about it. So our first guest that we have today is Scott Ramehelt, and he is the former Grasslands Program Coordinator for the DNR. Now he's been upgraded to the Regional Director and you may not know this about Scott. I'm going to let him speak, but I just want to preface this by saying that Scott has the best mustaches in the DNR. I just (laughs) made mustaches plural because for Scott, I feel like he needs to have mustaches. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, that's quite a compliment. There's a lot of mustaches in the DNR. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so accurate.
2: I, I'm thrilled to be here.
1: We're excited to have you here. You, who better to talk about walk-in access with us than the pro?
2: It, it's been a lot of fun being part of that program. It kicked off in 2011, and I've been involved in one way or another since day one.
1: <laughs> well, we also have another guest. We do? We have two Megans. This is going to oh, get real. Oh, Megan H, Megan B. Megan H, Megan B. Gosh, I haven't been Megan B since third grade, like, like three Megans, you know, and it's like we got Megan B, we got Megan M, we got Megan S. Actually, it was Jessie's. There weren't any other Megans. Yeah, it was right. like Jesse B, Jesse H, yeah. Jesse C. <laughs> I just didn't want you to even feel bad about it. So we have Megan Howell with us, uh, the second Megan on the podcast, but in no order of importance here. And she's a Farmville biologist with Pheasants Forever. Hey, Megan,
3: how are you? Good. Uh, I'm a farm bill biologist for Pheasants Forever out of Murray County. Uh, My job is to work on conservation programs like uh, CRP, CREP, and uh, walk-in access. So I'm happy to be here.
1: We're excited to have you. You just had an awesome article in the Star Tribune, did you not? I did, yes. So we've got celebrities here. Not
2: just an article, it was a full-page article with a 6-inch by 9-inch photo.
1: (laughs) I know! I actually asked somebody if they could get me that paper because I wanted to put an arrow on it and be like, I know her, and then get Megan to sign it for me so I can just wallpaper my office.
3: I can make that happen for you. (laughs) Oh!
1: Big deals happening on the Prairie Pod today! That's what I like to hear. We got the best (laughs) mustaches, we got celebrities. It's going to be a good day while we get into this topic. So Jess, you want to jump right in? Well,
0: well, Megan already included a couple acronyms that people might not be aware of, right? We use a lot of acronyms around here. And so can you explain a little bit about... CREP and, and CRP, what it, what, just what they stand for. We use a lot of acronyms. What do, do they Do it stand
2: ASAP, for? okay? <laughs> <laughs>
0: jokes. No Absolutely. Jokes. Okay, so CRP
3: is a conservation Reverb reserve program, and then uh, CREP is the conservation reserve enhancement program, and then Walk in Access, or WIA is Walk in Access, which I didn't use. But. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful.
1: And that last acronym, that's a great segue, is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a fabulous program that's housed by the DNR. It's called the Walk-In Access Program. And we have the professionals here to walk us through this. Because Jess and I, while we may be scientists, we don't know at all. No. It's shocking. We need help. (laughs) I know. We need help. So we brought in the big guns. We don't have a
2: Walk-In Access Scientist.
1: Well.
0: We're available. We're available. We're available. available. (laughs) We'll ha- Equal opportunity. opportunity. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you could at like...
2: least be contributing scientists. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. I like that. We could
0: do that. Equal opportunity reasonable. grassland scientists. Tell us a little bit about it. What is, how, does this, how does a walk-in access area differ from a wildlife management area? What are the,
2: what's and just, it all about? Just to back up a little bit, walk-in access is, is a really basic, simple program. And what we do is we pay landowners to provide hunting access on their land and the reason it got started is because when I was a kid you could jump on your bicycle put your 22 across the, the handlebars <laughs> pedal down the gravel road and stop at Mrs. Conkey's or Mr. Preem's ask for permission to hunt and go hunt it, it's not like that anymore land is leased uh, liability insurance has people pretty freaked out and you, you can't just knock on a door and hunt and in fact nationally uh, access to hunting lands listed as one of the reasons people get out of hunting, because they just don't have access to that land.
1: Oh, that's sad. That's sad.
2: Now, we're fortunate in Minnesota because we've got a lot of public hunting land. Yeah, we do. But there's still a need for more. So that's how Walk-In Access was born. Uh, it started in 2011, and we we're a little uncertain about it because walk-in programs west of the Mississippi generally had worked because it's big tracts of land, east of the Mississippi it had not. Minnesota was sitting right in between. Oh. Uh, with production agriculture, with dwindling CRP numbers, uh, we, we didn't know how it would go, but uh, every year walking access is grown in terms of acres of land, uh, hunter participation, and so coming into our eighth year, it, it's been two thumbs up.
1: That's awesome. awesome. That's really great. I, I mean, why do you think it <clears throat> didn't work? East before or why do you think it's working
2: now? It, well the eastern states generally smaller tracts of land oh. and people own those hunting tracks or well there you go they own those tracks for their own hunting.
1: Uh-huh.
2: You get into the western states I mean there's sections and sections of land and uh, the landowners can generate some extra money on, on those lands by enrolling in a voluntary public access program. Uh, most of our land enrolled is in western Minnesota. But we go all the way to Owatonna on the east side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to the South Dakota border and then all the way north to Bemidji. Mm-hmm. And so we cover 40, 46 counties now. So Minnesota. is it
1: fair to say with that description that most of the walk-in access program acres are in the prairie parts of the state? They're running right up the prairie corridor from south southwest Minnesota up to northwest.
2: Yeah, in fact, when the program kicked off it was a grassland program.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and. With our, our current grant period that we've got right now, we expanded a little, little bit so that we could continue to add acres and although it's primarily grassland, we've also got great turkey habitat, great deer habitat uh, in, in some of those wooded areas.
1: Now does a landowner, does it automatically have to be open to all kinds of hunting? Like a landowner can't say, oh, I only want you to hunt pheasants here and I'm gonna reserve these rights for deer or turkey or what have you. Is it just automatically if you sign up as landowner whatever hunting season there is, is fair game?
2: See yeah, that's a in good there? question because fair some <laughs> of the Western states, it is broken down by hunting season. In Minnesota, it's it's open to hunting from September 1 to May 31. So it covers any hunting seasons within that time. And a, a landowner can't say, well, I'm gonna retain it for myself during deer hunting. But we haven't had any issues. And, and the big reason that this program has worked is because the hunters have been so cool. Uh, They've been very respectful of the land. They haven't trespassed on neighbors. They haven't dumped garbage. And so because of that, landowners are willing to re-enroll.
0: So you mentioned incentives a bit. Can you talk a little bit more about how this all works? How do people find you? How do do, do people get enrolled? What are the benefits to them?
2: Yeah, and that's where Megan comes in is we work through the county uh, Soil and Water Conservation District offices. And so a landowner comes into that office, which they're used to going into for ag programs, and they can get more information or sign up for walk-in access. We pay based on the number of acres enrolled, the length of time enrolled, and then proximity to other public land. So it's a minimum of $10 an acre, a maximum of $13 an acre, maximum of three-year contract. So there's no long-term commitments for the landowner. Uh, that's a
0: great incentive
2: yeah and a couple other things for landowners is is they're automatically covered under minnesota recreational statutes which means liability insurance so they don't have to worry about liability during those hunting seasons add to that we've got a habitat enhancement program so if a landowner wants to do a prescribed burn uh, invasive tree removal uh, enhanced native seeding we'll pay up to twenty thousand dollars per landowner to improve that habitat.
0: My word, that's amazing. That's awesome. I had no idea. This is actually one of my questions that going to be for you today. How, how, do they, how does long-term management of these habitats work? You answered it. That's awesome. I had I no idea.
1: That's great, because it's huge. I mean, one of the biggest problems we have in the prairie part of the state is cedar trees invading the prairie, which mm-hmm. they are a native tree, but they basically make clonal populations, so they make more of each other, and then they take over the prairie, they shade it out, and then there is no prairie without management now if you had fire in there every seven years you could keep those cedar trees out but you know to ask an individual landowner to do fire on their own well a that's unsafe on your own should not (laughs) happen just don't light a match out there, people. <laughs> and then B, there's a cost involved. So here that there's some enhancement dollars, that's gotta be a big deal. Does that change some landowners' minds? Is that kind of the tipping thing where they're like, yeah, I'll take that Easter egg?
2: Well, it, it does because you know you say 10 to $13 an acre and they go, well, that's all right. But then you add on up to 20,000 extra dollars over three years say on 200 acres I mean that that adds a lot to the payment and it's not automatically 20,000 I mean a prescribed burn might be a couple of grand but that's still money that does not come out of the landowner's pocket and so it ups the ante
1: Love it. so I think you said the program's been around since 2011 is that right, right? okay so what's the future look like? I mean, we're seeing that there's kind of a squeeze on conservation dollars. It always sort of feels that way. We always kind of feel like we're asked to do more with less. What's what's it look like? Because it seems like the program's growing, it's popular. There's good things in there that landowners are liking. Well, I mean, what's it, what do you think? Forecast this for me a little bit, Scott.
2: There's two real sides, as you mentioned. One is we've got landowners increasing participation. We've got hunters increasing participation. Uh, enrollment rates are off the charts but we're at the end of a federal grant period the end of September and that has been funded through the farm bill the likelihood of voluntary public access being funded through a future farm bill is pretty slim because there's lots of cuts going on and that doesn't just affect Minnesota there's 22 states that get money through voluntary public access. And in states like Kansas, walk-in access makes up the vast majority of their public hunting land. So oh. we've all got a lot to potentially lose if this isn't funded.
1: Yeah, so that would be a huge blow. I mean, I know myself, I I moved here from Indiana where you know most of the hunting land is privately owned. There's just not the same amount of public ownership as in Minnesota. And so it's been really fun for me during turkey season, other seasons and stuff to know that I can just basically look at the DNR rec compass, which shows me all of my public land holdings, and I can pretty much hunt within 30 minutes of where I live. And I mean, I live in New Orleans, so <laughs> that's that's saying something that I can just kind of scout it out, because I don't want to drive, you know, an hour or two hours. I will, but let's be honest, I'm a lazy hunter, like, I don't like <laughs> to get up early. I like it when I'm out there, but it's a struggle. The struggle is real that early in the morning. So. That's a huge blow to know that we could lose that much of our public land.
2: Well, And we do have a lot of great public hunting land in Minnesota, but in the southern part of the state, 2%. I, I often ask people wow. when I'm talking to a group, what percent of land in our county do you think is enrolled in public land? And they'll guess 5 to 10%. Mm-hmm. And so then I ask, if, if we were at 5%, would you be happy? And they're like, well, yeah, but not over 5%. And usually we're at one5 Maximum of two percent. So we've got a lot of great hunting land, but percentage-wise it's pretty small in southern Minnesota walk-in access the landowner retains ownership and It, it allows public hunting. So I, I think it's a win for both sides
0: So Megan mentioned that we can we can find this find these sites on Rec compass we, we also have in, in almost all the DNR offices you know, we have these brochures, really nice booklets that were put together that show all the land, right? There's maps in the back and contact information and places we can find, find out more about how to access these lands and any other details you might want.
2: Yeah, and if you drive by, you can't miss the signs because they're kind of a lime yellow fluorescent <laughs> stop sign shaped thing that says walk-in access. And wherever you see those signs, you don't need to go up and ask for permission. You can just automatically go hunt. And that's one thing landowners like too is because people are not knocking on their doors. They don't have to give preference to a neighbor versus mm-hmm. a friend. It just it's public access.
1: Or a friend of me, that could be real <laughs> awkward real fast. Now, are the boundaries marked or is it just uh, like so it's every boundary marked with those lime green signs like if you're out there, I mean the the last thing any hunter ever wants to do is trespass by accident. Like that's the last thing that you want to do. So I know that the boundaries are marked when you go to like the rec compass and you can see the map, which just basically functions like a Google Maps kind of application. It's very similar, you just see an aerial image and you can see the outline, but are the boundaries actually physically marked so that I were to know as a hunter? Uh Uh-oh, now I'm on the neighbor's property.
2: Yeah, there's no mistaking it. It, it, The signs are a maximum of 500 feet apart. Oh, nice. Uh, Closer in most cases. And if there's a building site, we, we put a 500 foot buffer around those building sites so people don't have to have concerns about hunters in their backyards, and those are also marked with signs. Uh, you you can't get confused.
0: Good. That's great. Well, I I'm, I'm so excited to learn so much more about walking access. I would like to get Megan's perspective as a as a hunter. What you know? What do you What do you like about these?
3: absolutely um well my first experience with walk-in access was actually through my job as a farm bill biologist i had my first walk-in access sign up last year and i signed up a 105 acre site and i was super pumped about it i'm a nerd when it comes to public hunting so i was excited to be a part of it and as soon as i found out that they had went and signed it all and all the boundaries were posted I drove out there and I remember pulling up and seeing these bright yellow signs and it was overlooking this site that I had just signed up. And I remember feeling just so excited and thinking about how much of a unique opportunity it is to take a private landowner and um, have them put their land in, roll it into a program that allows public hunting. And I was looking over the area and I was just like, man, I gotta hunt this when hunting season comes around. (laughs) And so I had just moved to Minnesota and I hadn't gotten my uh, first Minnesota rooster yet and I'm a big pheasant hunter so I was really excited and I knew I had to come back and do it on this walk-in access area. So uh, hunting season came around and I actually had a coworker in the office that hadn't done a lot of pheasant hunting at all and was interested in learning how so I took him out there And we were walking and walking, and I had seen a ton of birds on this piece before hunting season, and so I was just really hoping we would see some stuff. And we walked and walked and walked, and we didn't see anything, and we turned around to come back, and uh, all of a sudden this rooster gets up, and it's a long shot, but uh, it gets up over by me, so Ben didn't have a, a chance to take a shot at it, but... I I pulled up my gun and I shot, and to my surprise, it actually, I actually hit it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the best
3: part. I was <laughs> super, super pumped. And then I realized it was dry. It looked like I may have just winged it. And it was just dropping into the thickest patch of reed canary grass I could ever think of. And my dog's running over there, and I mark it, and I'm running over there, and I'm just hoping I find it. And Ben makes it over there, and the dog's working, and she buries herself in the grass, and she comes out with the bird, and I am just excited. <laughs> I love it. Ben, I have tears in my eyes with the bird in my hand. I'm just super excited. It's awesome. I was, yes, I was just pumped. It's like you can't... It is awesome. You can't create memories like that. You can't recreate memories like that, you know? And, um... So I uh, I was sitting there with the bird in my hand, looking up at Ben. I was like, "This is what it's all about, you know? <laughs> walk-in access, creating public land for you know, making opportunities for people with their families to go out and hunt and friends, and getting people into the sport. That's ultimately why I love walk-in access. But that being said, I'm a little crazy passionate about it. And if you take <laughs> if you take away the my job and why I do what I do and if I just think about why I love walk-in access as purely a hunter I think I would say I'm a primarily a walk-in access hunter honestly I don't like to hit the the big WMAs or anything like that in my county because a lot of the locals know them and hunt them regularly there's competition yeah exactly and I hunt solo a lot so I kind I like hunting alone it's a It's peaceful. I don't want to be on top of other people's uh, parties while they're hunting. So I find these walk-in accesses in my county, and most of the time, there's less pressure. And uh, there's such a variety of sites out there. Um, In my county, there's, there's plenty of sites where you could spend all hunting season. You could get pheasant, turkey, deer, duck, goose, squirrel, rabbit, whatever you want to do. You can do it on these sites. And uh, it's just a unique opportunity and I'm very thankful to be a part of it and be, to be able to hunt it. So.
1: That's an incredible story. I'm going to ask the question that everybody probably wants to know. What kind of dog? <coughs> what kind of dog? <laughs> this is, you gotta settle this. It always the, comes
3: up. Yeah. You know, um,
1: there's a yeah. huge debate out there. What kind of dog were you guys right. hunting with?
3: I have a Broc du Bourbonnais, which is a French pointing dog.
1: Oh wow! Yep. Okay, well, never heard that of it. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> that's a new one. That doesn't solve the, the age-old debate. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> the lab it versus lab just, wow. just brings another species right in there. <laughs> lab versus GSP. We're yep. not going to solve that today.
2: <laughs> like. When I'd mentioned that the program works because of hunters, the heroes of the program. are are the people working in the SWCD offices. Can you imagine being a landowner and coming in and having Megan sell the program? Sign
1: me up. (laughs) Yeah, sign me up right now. I wish I owned land so I could just hand it to you. (laughs) sign me up for the program because you're so passionate. I mean, that's what I love about, I mean, that's what I love about getting to do this podcast and being with you wonderful folks and getting to spend a little bit of time, but just hearing your experiences. I mean, that's what it's all about in this conservation community in Minnesota. Like, you're just, exactly. you're, I had a co-worker tell me once that conservation isn't a career, it's a lifestyle. It and just is. hearing your story is like, that's what it is. It's I a lifestyle.
3: It's <laughs> funny. I was thinking about that. Uh, I was driving and I was like, man, it is early in the morning when I was driving and I'm going to work. And I was like, but you know what, I'm going to talk about conservation. I'm going to work on conservation programs and stuff like that.
1: It's a lifestyle. It is. I love it. And there's nothing better that we can do for the state or the people of the state than to have the right people and the right jobs who are passionate about it I mean, Mm -hmm. and who care about it.
0: Those are some great
1: stories. I know. I like it. I kind of wish that we could take the rest of the day off and go hunting now. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's (laughs) not... Not allowed. Got to do some. Got to do some actual work.
2: Maybe a field trip to some walk-in <laughs> access. <today. laughs> there we go. <laughs> no,
1: so to round out this walk-in access discussion, before we switch gears here, where can people find um, some of the information? We mentioned the DNR Rec Compass. I just want to talk a little bit about what that is and, and give a name for the brochure that Jess was mentioning earlier. So the DNR Recreation Compass. If you just put that into the old Google or whatever search engine you use, we're equal opportunity here. (laughs) Just type it in, it'll pop up, and it's a really handy tool that I actually use. It it has a mobile version as well, and I use it all the time when I'm out because you can search by unit name, or you can just search by the map for where you are right now, and you can kind of zoom in and zoom out to different units, and you can get a feel for maybe where you want to go and strategize. It also gives you a lat-long, and my favorite part is it gives you the conservation officer for that area as well so if you were to run into any troubles or have any problems of any kind you are you automatically have your contact right in that rep compass so it's i actually use it at work all the time too when people ask me to design a restoration for them and they're like it's on this unit of this wildlife management area it's just faster than ArcMap or other tools that we use i just pull it right up to see where they're talking
2: about and it, it's easy to use as you mentioned and not enough people know about it when I'm working at Game Fair or Farm Fest or any other show, that's one thing I do is I've got my phone out and I'm showing people how to use Rec Compass. And whether they're a hunter or a conservationist or recreationist, uh, it, it's something you should have in part of your toolkit.
0: Definitely. It has everything on it. It has Fish and Wildlife Service land on it. It has DNR land on it. It has it has everything. Mm-hmm.
1: It has your public lands yep. on it. And then the, the lat long's handy, too, because... If you if you're not if your map skills are poor and you're not real sure where you're going, you can just copy that lat long mm-hmm. again, put it right into whatever map feature you use, every, you know, app or whatever, and then it'll just take you right there. So that's nice too because you can then navigate if you're not very good at reading a map.
3: Is there an app for
1: the rec compass? There's not an app, but there's just a mobile-friendly okay. version of it. Okay. So if you access it through the web on your phone, it'll display right instead of you having to you know, scroll over yeah. and pinch out and pinch in and be like, what am I looking at? Like...
2: As of this spring, that's even easier to use because we, we made some changes to our website mm-hmm. uh, to make it more mobile-friendly. So it worked before, it works better now.
1: I've noticed that, actually. I've, I love it. I mean, I use it all the time. Not as a DNR, (laughs) employee, As a personal private citizen, I use it all the time.
2: Now, just in case you're in an area with no phone service, Mm -hmm. uh, we also produce Mm walk-in atlases that uh, Jess had mentioned earlier, and and you can pick those up, any DNR office. You can pick them up at license agents, or you can uh, have one sent to you by calling DNR.
0: I think a lot of the SWCDs might have them, too. Scott's been very good at getting these out To even our lonely office in Medelia <laughs> <laughs>
1: The lonely Medelia office it is, Not even a sign on the everywhere. road
0: Everywhere <laughs> sign up. on the road They're On just... the gravel road <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> You gotta know where you're going To get to the Medelia A office. lot of people do I think <laughs>
3: Google Maps actually takes you to the wrong place oh. When Sometimes. you put in the Medelia <laughs> office yeah, it's,
1: you, you end up in the middle of a field <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's disheartening <laughs> Jess, where are you (laughs) (laughs) that happened last summer i'm in the middle of a field
2: but recreational compass would take you to the right (laughs) (laughs) spot
1: bringing it home i like it well megan scott we're not done here today but i just want to say major thank you for all the work that you do with this program and for being here today i i'm like rejuvenated i'm gonna go get my gun and Go scout some turkeys. Yeah, right. it's coming. Can we stick around for the rest? Absolutely. Great. You guys might have things that you need to say to us. Definitely. Keep me and Jess in line. But it's time. <laughs> what time is it? Is it time to let science, science to, the
0: to the literature? All right.
1: All right. This is my favorite part, of course. We preach Jess's favorite part of the podcast.
0: Not, not, not at all. To say to detract from anything of the other discussions we've had. So this is the part of the podcast where we talk about the literature. Today I'm going to give a couple suggestions about a paper, a project that's ongoing in Iowa, and then a book. Um, so I have a couple things um, to, to talk about today. One is this paper from 2015 by Ryan Drum and, and a whole bunch of author, other authors. This has been PLOS One. The title was Strategic Grassland Bird Conservation Throughout the Annual Cycle, Linking Policy Alternatives, Landowner Decisions, and Biological population outcomes. That's a long title. That was a long title. That was but a long title. Um, and and it's a really interesting paper and very accessible. It's it's a free um, paper um, online access for anybody. Um, one of these open access journals, so anybody can go on and read it. And um, some of their conclusions are really important to this discussion we're having today about private land and um, their results of this of this study suggests that large-scale farmers hold the most sway in determining grassland bird population outcomes and so although walk and access maybe these aren't farmers some, sometimes I bet they are though right I mean they, yep. these are all different Absolutely. kinds of folks um, with approximately 85 percent of the of remaining grasslands in the US being privately owned it's this huge holding right mm-hmm. that that's important to to manage mm-hmm. as Scott mentioned and and so impacting these large-scale farmers decisions to participate in these conservation programs may be one of the most effective strategies that that we can have to positively impact grassland birds so that was the conclusion from this paper by Ryan Drum and others um, so, so it's, it's really important that, and programs like this and others um, it, have the capacity to do that. Um, here in Minnesota, did you have any comments about that, Megan? Do you have anything? To no, that's say? a lot.
1: I mean, uh, yeah. I don't have anything to say. So, this,
0: this. I mean, I guess the reason I bring this up is that it supports um, what what's going on in walk-in access.
2: When conservation and agriculture, a lot of times, are seen as as polarizing issues, and it doesn't need to be that way.
1: No, it and,
2: doesn't. You know, the the paper that you talk about, walk-in access, those are things that really talk about bringing those together
0: right they don't live in isolation none of us none of us are working in isolation there's all these interconnected factors so the iowa strips project is as another example it's not necessarily a paper but a really cool project that's going on in iowa um, where farmers enroll in this program and they create these strips again there's incentives for these things um, strips stands for science-based trials of row crops integrated with prairie strips So they take as little as 10% of a a crop field at the the catchment, so where the water's coming down, and they replant it to prairie. So it's a, a pretty small strip, only 10%, but they find that that prairie can reduce soil erosion, retain nutrients, and provide habitat for wildlife without impacting the per acre crop yield. So there's there's not only are there things on our grasslands and private land that we can be doing, but also in agriculture. And again, it's this whole everybody's working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of brings me to the last um, kind of more philosophical thing that I'd I'd like to bring up. Fam- Everybody loves San County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. Mean, how do you not? Absolutely.
1: This is like the this is the, right? the conservation bible.
0: Right. So when I was yes. when I was thinking <laughs> about this topic of of private land and Conservation and w- how we can all work together. I immediately thought of the land ethic, you know, and and Aldo Leopold's land ethic was just that. How can we're we're all part of this community? Everybody, even if they even if people don't care about conservation, they're part of it because they drink the water. So everybody everybody's involved. Um,
1: we breathe the air too.
0: Well, we do breathe <laughs> the air. Yes, no, we it. need the soil. It's another. Coast. We need the soil. Yeah, yeah. It's land all. We're all water. part of this community. Um, so I'll just read a quick quote here from the land ethic. This is part of a, a, a section called the community concept. And that's that's really what it's talking about is we're all part of this community. So it says, all ethics so far evolved rest upon a single premise that the individual is a member of a community of interdependent parts. We're We're all part of it. Everybody. That's all. That's all That's I have to it? say oh, I know you're <laughs> going to keep going. No, so I, I was no, like, I'm just I was
1: like there's more to say here. <laughs> you
0: know, we we can't do this alone. We none of us no. none of us can do it alone. And Absolutely so um, we all have to we all have to work together and, including public and privately.
1: Well, and for those of you who don't know who Aldo Leopold is, he's often referred <clears throat> to as the father of conservation for for good reason because back in the day he wrote the Sam County Almanac and a lot of the stuff that he lays out in that book Still holds true today. I had somebody tell me in college that if you read the San County Almanac and it doesn't resonate with you or you can't find a single quote that you like, then maybe you should switch jobs. That's what they said. I would agree. And, yeah, and I was absolutely. pretty offended at the time because at the time it was an assignment, <laughs> right? To read the <laughs> right. right. So it, it's a little bit different. You're gonna
2: like this. You're gonna
1: like this. And I, automatically, just the type of person I am. I don't like when people tell me what I'm gonna like. And so I read it. And my mindset, when I read it, was real confrontational against Aldo. <laughs> I was real, like, in my mind, I was trying to find things I didn't like about it and that I could disagree with because I just didn't like the idea that I was had to like it. And I'll tell you what, shame on me, because it's a fantastic piece of literature. A lot of the stuff that he says holds true today. It certainly shaped my career. I won't go as far to say that you just have to like it because you can have an opinion too, but uh, it's pretty much the foundation of all the things that we do. So it's worth a read. It's eye-opening too. It mm. is pretty eye-opening. And, it's, and it holds true. That's it does. The thing. It's,
0: it's time, it's, it, it is timeless. Timeless. That was the word yep. I was looking for.
1: Yep. Oh, you know,
2: there's many people, though, that if they didn't go to school in, in conservation, right. they mm-hmm. may not have had a chance to read it. Sure. And uh, yeah. I highly recommend that anybody with that sort of conservation feel or ethic uh, find a copy, and give it a read, no matter what age you are, no matter what background.
1: Absolutely. And I reread it again, sometimes not the whole thing, but there are certain chapters that I like better than others. And it's written, it's not written like a sciencey book. It's no. not dry. It's, a, it's really a collection of stories and his thoughts about the world through his observation of nature. And so I think he, the things that he talks about are things that can resonate with lots of people, even if you're not in the conservation field. I think just as a person who lives in Minnesota... our ethic tends to be in this state that we value natural resources. So I think it's worth a read. Awesome. More things about that. Take a hike. Gosh, I feel like I should. I feel like I should (laughs) take a hike.
0: It'd be wonderful to take a hike today. Wouldn't
1: it? It would be. It's a nice day to take a hike. We should take a hike. This is the part of the podcast where we are going to recommend some places where we think that you, myself, Jess, Scott, and other Megan should take a hike. (laughs) Megan, Megan, number two. But we—I'm going to turn. Normally, I sort of handle this section and we highlight really fantastic tracts of land that are just can't-miss opportunities. But I'm going to turn it over to other Megan for this section because she is going to highlight, rightfully so, some walk-in access sites that are that she really, really likes and we think you'll like too.
3: All right. Thank you. Even though I'm Megan number two. Arguably, <laughs> Megan number one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We can't all be number one. All right. So um, for the walk-in access program, Lincoln County actually has the, the most walk-in accesses. It, it, it has 44 sites, and that's 15% of the program. However, that is not my county. I don't work <laughs> in Lincoln County. I love Lincoln County. I like to hunt Lincoln County. But I work in Murray County, so I'm going to take you to two sites there. So, Murray County comes in second with 16 sites and over 1,500 acres of walk-in access ground. Um, The first site I will take you to is Murray walk-in access site number 149. It's a 152-acre site northeast of Curry. And my first experience with this walk-in access was actually through the program that Scott was talking about earlier, the walk-in access habitat enhancement program. I love that program. I love the opportunity that the landowners can come in and get some habitat enhancements done. And uh, so this landowner had called me and asked if I could go out and look at her site and recommend any um, habitat enhancements that might improve her cover. And so this site, it's like I said, it's 152 acres, so it's, it's a pretty big site and uh it has a grove of trees on it and it's got a nice wetland it's got some upland areas it kind of has it all but i started walking in the grove and within 10 minutes i had kicked up a turkey and two deer and i was like wow that's pretty impressive because <laughs> yeah. there's you know there's not a lot of trees around where the site is and there's you know turkeys aren't as easy to find and i'm from iowa so I, turkeys were everywhere in iowa and so I was super excited to see a turkey in minnesota But uh, then uh, I went out of the grove and I walked up the upland area and there was just pheasants getting up left and right and there's two bald eagles flying around, there's just wildlife everywhere. I was super impressed, but I walked around the whole site and ended up back uh, towards the truck where the the, uh, wetland is and just geese and ducks getting up everywhere. And when I got done with the, the walk over, I called the landowner and I was like, I am just super impressed with this site. There's so much wildlife. You could hunt ducks, turkey, geese, pheasants, whatever you wanted to there. But uh, that's one of my favorite sites to do. And uh, we're actually going to be doing a burn there this spring, followed by some grazing to revitalize the prairie and help control some of the cool season grasses there. So I'm super pumped to see what it's going to look like this fall should be some good hunting and then the next site that i'm going to take you to is of course my favorite site that i got my first bird on but uh that's uh murray county access or walk-in access number 397 it's a 105 acre site just north of slate and four miles and i love this site because when you pull up to it it sits in a valley so late season like this year late season hunting i was out there and it was negative 15 degrees and there was wind but it's in this valley so there's no wind down there so I was able to hunt all the way through the season (laughs) but anyways you pull up to the site and you're looking over this entire site and it has got the most beautiful stand of native grasses I've seen in Murray County I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure and I'm not, I'm. this is not me being biased. It's a beautiful stand of grass. <laughs> and it <laughs> holds a ton of birds. And I wouldn't tell Quick you this. caveat. Yes.
1: <laughs> <Not> <laughs> this is not.
3: seriously my favorite spot to hunt because there are always birds there, no matter what. You will get a pheasant, and you will see a pheasant at least if you go there. I guarantee it. <laughs> but anyways, uh, there's a drainage ditch that runs right through it, and there's always a few ducks sitting in there. So if, if you're sneaky enough, you can sneak up and hunts and ducks there too and uh at the the back end of the site actually is connected to ingebritson wma so that runs along beaver creek and also has great turkey squirrel rabbit deer hunting you could spend all day at that site and just get whatever you want to hunt there (laughs) so that's awesome I love
1: that sight. <clears throat> you can tell Megan's definitely passionate, and she's a generous hunter because most hunters would not love their know, I favorite know. spot. It breaks my heart. Can kind we of. go back and erase that yeah. part? <laughs> she just gave you her, her favorite is, hunting spot. It is my favorite spot to hunt. So not only does she care, but she's willing to share, folks. That's a pretty That's good awesome. deal there. But
2: Megan is a walk in access warrior. I mean, just through and through. That. And I'd also... I, I need to mention Randy Krause, because uh, he's in Lincoln County, Okay. Oh,
0: and yeah. he does the
2: same thing as Megan in Lincoln oh. County. Uh, another walk-in access warrior. Uh, between the two of them, they've <laughs> got, what is it, 25% maybe of the entire program in those number two counties? One number yeah. Two. Yeah.
1: number yeah. one and number two. Number <laughs> one and number two. Holding strong. I like That's it. That's awesome. I have- that's fantastic. I also like that you said sneaky enough, if you're a sneaky enough hunter. That's always my goal as a hunter, to be sneaky <laughs> enough. Predators.
3: <laughs> so ducks can be hard. Good predator. you got to be careful right. when you're sneaking up on ducks.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not the sneakiest of hunters. That's why I, I get s- seated before anything else is awake. <laughs> <laughs> so I can keep my sneak contained. <laughs> Oh, man, this has been a great day. It really in has. K-S? I've yeah. learned a lot. Did you learn a lot?
0: I really did. I really, really did.
1: I just, big thanks to Megan in Access Warrior, hashtag Walkin Access Warrior, <laughs> for being here. I just love your love passion. It. I love your enthusiasm. You know, you don't have the same kind of mustachios that Scott does, but you're still we'll just there. as awesome as he thank is. Thank goodness. So, I'm yeah, I'm oh, <laughs> thankful there's for that. <laughs> grateful that you don't, but we just had to bring it up. Scott, also, thank <laughs> you for always being so knowledgeable and giving us the good facts and the information. I really appreciate you. Being hey, here.
2: Anytime I have a chance to come back to the Prairie Podcast, you let me know. All,
1: All right. Absolutely. Sweet. Well, we got to talk about that in private. See so if we wants to come back. But, uh, that's, no. So we're going to wrap up for the day. Um, That's Jess and Megan here on Prairie Tuesday on the Prairie Pod. We will catch you next week, and hopefully this next episode will be just as enjoyable as this one was. It's going to be
0: great. I'm so excited. This
1: was wonderful. I know. It was. Have a great day. Yeah, you guys have a great day.